Hi, my name is Jeff Bisty, and I'm the host of the I'm a Mainframer podcast from the Open Mainframe Project. The Open Mainframe Project is a Linux Foundation collaborative project that was put in place to promote the open source and Linux adoption on top of the mainframe platform. I'm joined today by Jordan Kane, who works for IBM as a committer on the Zoe Web UI squad. Thanks for joining us, Jordan. Hi, Jeff. Thanks for having me. So um, uh, we had a little bit of time to talk uh, before we started recording. And uh, the, tell us a little bit about the, the Zoe Web UI squad, kind of what, what that entails. Yeah, so the Zoe Web UI squad, as you would expect, kind of looks after everything that is in the web UI space. So that includes the Zoe desktop environment and all of the apps that kind of live within that. It also kind of looks after the um, Zilux server, which kind of runs the Zoe desktop and also a little bit of the backend services, which is known as the ZSS server, um, which handles sort of like authentication and some CRUD lifecycle for um, files and data sets. So something people might not um, be entirely familiar with right away is this, this phenomenon of Zilux. Can you, can you kind of talk about how that fits into Zoe? Yeah, so Zilux is kind of a code word that kind of came about. Um, it did originally kind of try and stand for Z lightweight user experience, but that name is no longer used. Um, so it's just a code name, but it refers to the modern desktop environment that we serve in a web browser. Um, which is kind of like it behaves as a desktop you would traditionally expect to behave. It has applications, it has sort of like a notification manager, and everything you kind of expect in like Windows or Mac OS, that kind of thing. So, is there a kind of model that you're going after for for the Zlux interface, like a like a type of Linux or Mac or anything like that? Um, it's a bit of a hybrid. Um, we're taking and the best practices from all operating systems and just trying to make the easiest user experience possible. But this is like the first thing people say see when they uh, when they start using Zoe. So like no pressure, right? Yeah, exactly. No pressure. We're trying to make it look as modern and as intuitive as possible. And I think we've done a really good job with that so far. Do you get to work with people who are like brand new to the platform and kind of see like what their reaction is to seeing this type of environment for the first time? Yeah, definitely all the time. Um, I'm fortunate enough to go to a lot of conferences as well, where I get to speak to people who are seeing this for the first time, and maybe they've joined um, some um, a financial industry, and they just used to seeing a green screen, and they've seen a green screen for the past six months of their like graduate life, and now they see this at a conference, and they're like, "Why wasn't I shown this six months ago?" <laughs> yeah, it so it's, it's it's like a really nice. Um, it's a really nice feeling when you get people running up to you after a conference telling you that sort of thing, um, especially when you kind of get the feedback coming from people my own age. Um, as I'm 25 years old, not too long out of university, everyone, I'm trying to help the people who are my peer group. So are, are these mostly um, like sysprogs or developers or like what, what kind of roles do you, um, do you primarily target and talk to? So I primarily get to see sysprogs and people in more administration roles. Um, I would like to speak to more application developers, um, but unfortunately we don't get many of those coming to the conferences that I go to. And a lot of the interfaces that we produce so far for Zoe have been targeted at more um, systems programmers sort of roles. Oh, that's fantastic. Um, I want, I want to talk a little bit about your, your history within, within IBM. You, you kind of took an interesting course in here, which it's, it's kind of similar to my, my roadmap getting into IBM. But um, 
you you started with did you start with the internship or was it the master of the mainframe contest um so after my um well in the middle of my second year of university um i was always expecting to go on an internship and we had some ibmers come in and do a recruitment fair type event um, and one of the things that they mentioned is they run a master of the mainframe contest so that was my first sort of like oh maybe i should have a look at this and there's prizes if you complete certain tests so of course as a poor student i wanted free stuff um, absolutely yeah so was that uh, was that a main... year was that a year when you could like win a shirt um so i actually won a hoodie uh, oh better than a shirt yeah. um but you could also win um trips to i think there was a trip to poughkeepsie yes which was if you won the final prize um but i didn't quite get that one just a hoodie for me unfortunately and <laughs> hey, that's uh, so... pretty good i mean i work on the contest that i don't have a hoodie yet <laughs> I still have the hoodie somewhere, so it doesn't quite fit me anymore. <laughs> so do you remember like what like the, the key highlights of, of Master the Mainframe were for you? Um, so the biggest highlight, obviously, being seeing a green screen for the first time. It's like, <laughs> wow, I didn't think this existed anymore. Um, <laughs> but then obviously over the past seven or so years, you realize how powerful that green screen and all the green screen applications actually are. And one of the really interesting things I notice now is if I go into like your big retail stores, you'll occasionally see a terminal that's got a, a mystical green screen on it. And you know, oh, there's something pretty cool running behind that. <laughs> that's, that's a company that's looking to scale, basically. Yes. Yeah, exactly. So, so you did the Massive Mainframe Contest and then your, your first internship, um, you, get, you got in pretty deep right in the beginning. What were you working on there? Yeah, so when I joined, I was looking, well, at the time when I joined, it was called Message Broker, um, but very quickly had a name change to IBM Integration Bus, um, which is an application that kind of sits on top of MQ. Um, and I was in sort of what was known as the verification team. So I was responsible for making sure when we shipped GA code that everything really was GA ready. Um, and even during that internship year, I was able to contribute and production code um, that made it into releases of IBM integration bus, which was a pretty proud moment for me. Can you can you kind of explain that to to people who may might not be familiar with like the the deep infrastructure of the system, like how IIB and and message queue and all that fits together, or message bus? Yes. Yeah, so um, IIB is an enterprise service bus, so it's essentially responsible for taking a message that's produced from anything essentially and it has a way of routing that to something else that needs to receive and respond to that message so like you think of warehouse applications where stuff orders come in and they have to weave their way through the system triggering a multiple different things um, yeah that's kind of the meat of it um, it sounds like there's you know there's there's a lot that can hook into something like that yeah, yeah, I can't quite remember the no total number of nodes or different interfaces that IIB supported, um, but it was in the high, high, high 10, well, like 20, 30, 40 different nodes, maybe even more. Um, and then you think about the scale of all of this with MQ lying underneath it, uh, how many messages actually get sent through is, is phenomenal. And did you focus on any, any key uh, or any, any single or small set of components or endpoints for it? Um, so even at that time, I actually got focused quite a bit on what was called their, their web sort of nodes. Um, so a lot of um, HTTP uh, messaging I was dealing with. 
Um, and I dealt with a lot of the TLS security setup, um, moving over from SSL v3 to TLS 1.2 and that kind of thing. Um, they were some of the big items that I worked on. Did you, did, I mean, you, you started uh, on something that's kind of deeply rooted into, into specifics of mainframe. Um, this is not something that can really like easily be implemented on like a distributed type thing. Was it, was it kind of like um, uh, threatening or, you know, scary diving into something that deep so quickly? So I think when I started my internship, I wasn't really aware of how big of a thing I was diving into. So initially I wasn't scared at all, but it's as I slowly <laughs> realized how, how much this actually means it's then it all of a sudden dawns on you. Yeah, all of these code reviews are definitely necessary, and I'm glad they were all there. So you didn't you didn't feel encumbered by like this is the way it's it's been done. Like you kind of got to um, work at like a good clip. Yeah, I think I joined at a good time. Um, IBM Cloud sort of division was really starting to form there, and the messaging side of things was really getting involved in that. Mm -hmm. um, so it was a transition point, um, which meant that things were changing and people were happy to see change and the change to sort of like the development life cycle, um, moving into sort of like a squad model and that kind of thing and being just more agile. It was more exciting than like feeling like I was being trapped or held back. <laughs> it, it is, it is kind of amazing how even in like 2019, um, core good infrastructure solutions like, like, you know, universal messaging bus types type things and, you know, messaging services as in general, um, apply to things like, you know, the mobile to cloud and hybrid cloud and, and public cloud type environments. I mean, that, good, that good stuff never goes out of style. Yeah, definitely. It's, it's infrastructure that is essential just to run the world, if you think about it. It's like, you just can't have a world that doesn't have these scalable applications, especially in a global economy like we are in now. Yeah, absolutely. So, so how did you make the transition from working on that over to, uh, to the Zoe web UI stuff? Um, so interestingly, when I was meant to come back as a graduate um, to IBM, I was originally intended to go into the Kix level three service team. Um, but about a couple of weeks before I was due to start, I got an email, uh, a quite obscure email saying, oh, that plan's changed now. Someone else filled that role and you're going to be working on this new initiative. I had no idea what it was. So day one coming in, I had no idea what I was working on. And then first call with my manager, it's like my eyes light up. It's this Greenfield project. It's all new stuff. It's all web. It's all um, creating REST APIs and that kind of thing. Um, so as a graduate coming back, like my eyes just lit up so much and I was deep in writing code from day one. Were you able to use a lot of what you learned during your internship to, to carry it forward? Or was that mostly stuff you picked up during your, your years in university? Um, so a lot, of, a lot of it was on-the-job training, essentially. This was Greenfield and building, essentially, ZOS Explorer from scratch, but for the web um, mm -hmm. rather than Eclipse, which people are more familiar with. Um, so there was a lot of on the job, just quickly learning stuff. Um, I completely learned the React and Web UI framework yeah. um, in the space of about a month. And then over the next year or so, managed to become um, kind of the go-to guy for React questions, which was quite rewarding. Let's talk about learning for a minute. Um, how, 
what was your method for teaching yourself React? Was it web stuff or books or, or just a manual? Um, yeah, so I think it's a huge combination of stuff nowadays. So obviously the first thing everyone does now is they go straight to Google um, technology tutorial. Um, mm -hmm. So React tutorials and um, React is from Facebook and Facebook do a good job of building a developer community. And with React being one of the largest web UI frameworks, there's a huge amount of material out there, a huge amount of YouTube videos and series. That, um, and that's kind of what I use the most, YouTube series and then reading the actual official documentation um, and just trying things out. One of the best things to do when you're learning a new technology is to just think of something that you'd like to have and just make it. Even if they already exist, just make it anyway and see how you'd go about tackling that problem. Did, did you have a project in mind that was, you know, just like a throwaway or just for fun project when you were learning it? Um, I created a photo managing website um, with a simple database backend. Um, not too fancy, but it taught me the basics. And um, I wouldn't want to show you that interface now because I'm not too proud of it now. But at the time, <laughs> I was happy that I got there. How do you think, obviously you came into learning this and as you're learning React, and, and I'm assuming it's like a, a NoSQL database backend on it? Uh, yeah, at the time that would have been, yeah. But um, in Zoe now, we don't use, well, in what I do, we don't use any database of any kind. What What, what is it using then? So a lot of what, the, um, there is a persistent storage system, which is kind of acts like a database for user um, user settings, but it's very limited in what we actually store there. Um, most of the data that we're accessing um, is actually core ZOS assets, so getting to data sets and Unix file system, uh, querying JES for job and that kind of things, and they kind of already exist in their own data storage system. And um, we either use ZOSMF to get access to those, or we use um, custom written um, APIs in ZSS to get at those. It makes sense. No, no sense to reinvent the wheel, I guess. Yeah, exactly. So how do you think, how do you, how would you go about training somebody new coming into your area um, on how to build like their, you know, reactive website that they need and that type of user interface while still keeping in mind that kind of like um, enterprise scalability that needs to be there? Would you start one and then feather in the other or how, how would you train someone? Um, so yeah, I would start with just the basics of getting um, a front end that actually um, looks kind of okay. Uh, and then it's all about getting a back end that can scale. And unfortunately, I've not had the biggest opportunities to work on the back end. Um, but it's all about just having a, a really good sort of like DevOps experience where you've got your, all your automated testing ready to go that can do scale testing and all that kind of thing as well. Oh, that's kind of a good area to get into when it comes to, to DevOps and like the modern, you know, kind of DevOps uh, environment. Is that something that was already in place when you started or were you able to like help in the architecture of that? So I definitely helped initially in the architecture of all of that. Um, starting from scratch, we had nothing. Um, so originally I was myself and one colleague um, was setting up all of like the Jenkins jobs um, to build all of our code together mm -hmm. and, and to do the packaging and stuff. Now we're fortunate enough to actually have a team within Zoe, the CICD squad, who takes care of all of that for us. And the amount that's grown is just phenomenal. There's um, from the point of code check-in, there's 
any number of builds that get spun off because of that, they all go and use like Sonar cubes, do code analysis, and they check the code smells. Um, all of the unit tests are obviously ran in the code coverage data selected. It's all published to dashboards. And we have like, um, even if you're building like a low end component, obviously that needs to make it into the final very packaging. Um, and there can be something like seven or eight different builds that happen before that actually makes it into that final Zoe package. And we're so lucky to have a team that looks after all of that for us now. Oh yeah, definitely. But was, was that on the job training for you? Like learning about Jenkins? It was, yeah. And obviously there was a huge amount of support from the huge amount of intelligent IBMers that I'm surrounded by every day. <laughs> and he's in a soundproof room, so no one can hear him saying that. He's saying it's <laughs> true. Yeah, there's nobody with a gun to my head. <laughs> um, I keep saying this and no one's correcting me yet, so I'm assuming it's, I'm going to go ahead and assume it's true. But like ZOS and the mainframe, you know, IBM Z in general, has really not advanced uh, as much as it has like in the last five years, it's there's it, the changes have been incredible, and I'm and, and I'm saying that in a, in a great way because um, this 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 platform is just continuing to grow, but but continuing to be scalable and everything like that. Um, with the addition of having like the all the APIs that you've you've been working on building in with like ZOS Explorer and all that, like where do you see the platform going like in in the short term and long term? In the short term, it's really interesting right now with the announcement of um, DCX, uh, the container extension, um, so we can have essentially Docker, um, Docker containers running on, on ZOS. So you can have any application that you would previously have deployed on distributed that was having to make calls to your mainframe can now live in the same box, huge. Um, which is really exciting. It's huge. It is huge. That latency just disappears almost entirely. Um, so I think that's, that's the next big boom thing that I'm, I'm looking at. Um, in longer term, I feel like the more we do with Zoe and all of the other modernization projects, uh, all of the IBM and the other business partners have all got going on. It's like there's so much investment and it's so exciting to see when these things are going to happen. Um, so one of the big things that I keep seeing a lot around is um, cloud development environments. Um, so a few years ago, Eclipse um, launched something called Eclipse Che, which was a, a fully um, and if we can do a similar experience for ZOS, um, it really starts pulling more and more younger people into the platform because they get used to that same interface. Mm -hmm. um, rather than being thrown into um, ISPF and using 3.4 editor to change stuff around. And um, that's still a nightmare for me, but I cope. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, the thing that always comes up is um, there's a certain hesitation of if, if someone's learning mainframe and they don't, don't learn it the same way that I did, or there's this, this fear of them not knowing what's happening behind the covers. Um, is that something that you kind of keep in mind when deciding what the experience will be like? Well, I, I kind of think everybody has their own way of doing something. Um, so if I taught someone how to do something, there's, there's no reason why in a week's time they haven't found another way to do it. And that might be a better way to do it. And because I'm so stuck in my way of doing it, I just never change. Um, I love that. So That's I, a great way of looking at it. Yeah, so I don't see it as a problem at all that um, people might start doing things in a, in a new way because it's probably a more efficient way 
and I'm just starting <laughs> to get old, which is scary. <laughs> yeah, and new, new is a relative thing, you know? <laughs> yes, yes, very relative. Um, I think we're coming, uh, coming up right about to the, you know, our, our time here, but um, your personal wish list, what, what would you like to see happening like either in the, in, in the ecosystem or our physical hardware or OS? Like what are, what are the things you're holding out for? Well, it's quite a dangerous question, really. Isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> um, we'll, we'll, we'll nest it in five layers of, um, of, of waving my hands in the air saying, we're, we're just talking, we're just talking. Yeah, so what would be really, really interesting is if we can get to the point where um, we have all of, like there's such rich functionalities that are trapped in, in green screen interfaces. If we can pull all of that out and finally, like someone's entire day job from nine o'clock in the morning to 5 p.m. when they clock off or hopefully clock off, um, they don't have to touch a green screen. That would be what I would want. I think how I we think... achieve that, I'm not too <laughs> sure. There's, there's a huge amount of of, um, of tools that are exist that you need that are still trapped in green screen. Right, but yeah, I think we are we are moving that way, and the only way to get there is to start moving in that direction. And uh, you know, thanks to the work that you and your team are putting, and I, I think we are definitely. I, I know we are moving in that direction. Yeah, thanks for saying that. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. I can, I can send that out on a plaque if you'd like to. I'd, I'd love a golden plaque with that on. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much for spending your time with us. Uh, I really learned a lot, and I, I know that our listeners will as well. So thank you. Yeah, thank you very much for having me, Jeff. It's been a pleasure. Absolutely. Um, my name is Jeff Bisty, and you've been listening to the I Am a Mainframer podcast from the Open Mainframe Project. Please click and subscribe and tell all your friends on all the social media platforms and we'll be with you again soon. Thank you very much.